around 2010, a new word came into our vocabulary. It was about then that we first heard about the problem of ghost estates. These housing estates were started during the housing boom, but when that bubble burst and those builders went bust, they were left partly finished, partly occupied, or even just completely empty. At the height of the problem, it was estimated that there were as many as 300,000 empty homes in Ireland, in more than 2,800 estates. Of course, by now, some of them have been completed and, and they've been now filled, but some remain, including one just up our way, up by Vinegar Hill. It's still a half-finished estate. Now, we're not the only country that's had that problem either. In Spain, there were also many apartments and other residential areas that were just never finished or never occupied. But the biggest problem is estimated to be in China, where there's not just ghost estates, there are ghost towns. Huge towns have just never been finished, never been occupied. Ghost shopping malls. And even if you see the bottom right picture, a ghost theme park, like a Disneyland that was built and never occupied. When God created this world, he didn't make a ghosty state. He didn't make an unoccupied world. Isaiah 45 says this, verse 18 about the Lord. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. So last week, we were looking at those first three days of creation, and they saw how God formed what was formless, creating separations and structures and systems. And we saw how all of this reflects the nature and the glory of our God because our God is not a God of disorder. But this week we're going to look at the second three days of creation. Day four, five and six. To see how God filled what was formed. To again reflect and magnify his nature. And his glory. So we're going to look at verse uh, at day number four first of all, and we're just going to go down through the, these days. So we're going to open up our Bibles in Genesis chapter one and verse fourteen, and we're going to read down to verse nineteen first of all. And God said, "Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night." And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be light in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. To govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day. On day four, God made the sun and the moon and the stars. And I think... These objects in our sky have always pointed to the immensity of our God. 
I'm sure many of us have, have stood and looked up in the sky and just been amazed at the power and the wisdom and the creativity of the God who made it all. And recent advances in technology and astronomy have just increased that sense of wonder and amazement. Way back in AD 150, the astronomer, a guy called Claudius Ptolemy, he catalogued 1,022 stars. Sounds like a really exciting job, doesn't it? But there are far more stars in our sky than that. Even with the naked eye, even just by looking up in the sky, from both hemispheres, you can see something like 10,000 stars. Now, you can go and count them if you want. But the Bible has always said, always said, that that idea of that number is far too small. God promised to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Now, of course, there are many more, much more sand on the seashore than 10,000 bits of sand. And now with the help of modern telescopes, we can understand something of what God meant here. Now, I don't think any astronomer would claim to know exactly how many stars there are in our sky. But it's estimated to be something like 10 to the power of 22. Okay, 10 times 10 times 10 times 10. Or 10 billion trillion. And even in our own galaxy, it's estimated that there are something like 100 billion stars. And yet the Bible says that God did not only make them through the power of his word, but that he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. No wonder that psalm goes on to say, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. This, the vastness of this universe is beyond our comprehension. But it's not beyond the comprehension of our amazing God. But of course, modern science does present a problem to a kind of simple, literal interpretation of this day of creation. Because as we've learned about how far away those stars are from the earth, it would appear that it would take billions of years for the light of those stars to actually get here. So when we look up in the sky, it's as if we're seeing the past. Because that light that came from those stars came all that distance away. So the fact that we can see them proves to many people that our universe must be billions of years old. Now, I don't think there's a simple answer to this. Some Christians obviously assume, as we were thinking about two weeks ago, or or they, they, they conclude that this world is billions of years old. Others, however, have suggested other solutions to this. Christian astronomers have suggested a number of different possible solutions to this. You can go on our website, I'll point you to if you want to read all about it, because it's mind-boggling. But one that I read was based on Isaiah 14, 22, where it interestingly says that God stretches out the heavens like a canopy, 
and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And that implies that this universe was much smaller than it is right now. Because he stretched it out. And actually, modern astronomy has again caught up with the Bible here. Because most astronomers will accept that the universe is expanding. Now, they'll say it's taking a lot longer for it to expand. But they they recognise and they can see the evidence of this expanding universe. But for me, the ultimate answer to this problem is, if God can create those stars, if he can number them one by one, then my God can bring the light from that star to this earth, even although it's billions of light years away. And that is God's created purpose, declared purpose in creating this vast universe, isn't it? To bring light to the earth. And it also helps us to answer another question that we can have with day four. And I'm sure many of you have thought of this. I know some of you have even asked me about this. And I promise to try and answer it this morning. That is, on day one, God created light. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1 verse 3. And God separated this light from darkness. And he created the very first daylight. And so there was evening and there was morning on those first three days. But it wasn't until day four that God made the sun and the moon and the stars that in our experience are necessary for that light and for that day and night. Now for some people that's just proof that Genesis chapter 3 or Genesis chapter 1 should not be read as the chronological record of how God made the world from day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. Just because our world functions one way today does not mean that it was impossible for God to do things differently in the past. It's one of the big mistakes of modern science today. To look at today and say, well this is how it is today, so this is how it has always been. But if God is really the God who created this world for nothing, from nothing, is it not possible for God to provide light, dawn and dusk, without having the presence of a sun? Are we really saying that's impossible? A couple of weeks ago we read, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So are we going to go against that? By saying, well, God, we can't understand it, so you couldn't have done it? So maybe instead of saying that it's impossible for God to provide light without the sun and the moon and the stars, we should maybe ask, Why did God do this? Why would God create the sun, the moon and the stars on day four if he created the light on day one? And I think that one answer comes from the fact that God didn't name the sun and the moon and the stars here. Did you notice that? We talked about last week about how In the day one and day two and day three, God names things. As the sovereign, he gives names to the different objects and the different different aspects of his creation. But here, he simply referred to them as 
the greater light and the lesser light. He, he won't use their names. And it seems that God is being very careful here so that we will not elevate, elevate these lights to something more than they are. Because in the neighbouring cultures to the nation of Israel, the sun and the moon were looked on as some of the important gods that they worshipped. They bowed down and worshipped the sun or the moon god. And then the stars, they were often credited with controlling human destiny. And lots of people believe that today, don't they? I'm sure most of newspapers you can find the horoscope page where people read it and say that that's how they're going to make their decisions in that day, based on what people say about the stars and all that kind of stuff. But God wanted us to know that the sun and the moon and the stars were nothing more than a part of his creation. Yes, they are mind-blowing in their beauty and their size and their number, but they are not the gods of this universe. They are not the source of light and life in this world. And they do not control our destiny. And so they are not to be worshipped. They are not to be honoured. That honour belongs to God alone. This is what John says about the word, the Son of God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of man. So who is the source of light? Who is the source of life? Who is the one that we should look to? Well, it's God. Not the sun and the moon and the stars. So for me, it seems that God waited until day four to make those lights so that we would not see them as the start of this creation. We wouldn't elevate them to that point, that place. And I think that matches with how God emphasises here their threefold purpose. He repeats it actually in this little section that we read. Verse 14. Let them be lights. That's the first purpose. Let them be lights to separate the day from the night. Then verse 14 again. Second purpose. Let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and the days and the years. And then third purpose. Let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. So these lights in the sky, they are not gods to be served. Instead they serve us. Dividing day from night. Giving structure and order and rhythm to our lives by dividing time into days and months and seasons and years. And ultimately providing the light that we need on this earth. That's why they're there. And so, rather than calling us to worship them, <clears throat> the sun and the moon and the stars shine their light on us. And in so doing, they shine the light on the power and the care of our Creator. And they encourage us to give Him all of the glory and Him all of the honour that He alone deserves. And that's what Psalm 19 says. That beautiful psalm. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Therefore, God created the sun and the moon and the stars to provide us with the light that we need so that we can honour him who made the world. Let's look on to day four, five then. Day five. God filled the sea and the sky that he formed on day two with an amazing diversity of swimming and flying creatures. So we're going to read from verse 20 down to verse 23. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas. Let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. The fifth day. I think we're still discovering the truth of that statement where God said, let the water teem with living creatures. From massive blue whales to beautifully patterned fish, to powerful sharks, to graceful little seahorses, to the crazy looking six meter long giant squid that was caught off the the coast of Dingle just last week. I don't know if you saw that in the news, this horrible looking thing. Shouldn't say horrible, eh? (laughs) Even some of the sea creatures of the past. Like that picture down in the, the bottom left hand corner that most people think is extinct, so don't worry about going swimming in Curraclaw. It's called the Tylosaurus, which could re- reach 15 metres in length. And, but even today, new species of sea creatures are being discovered that have never been seen before by human, human beings, because the sea is just so deep and so vast. Just last year, researchers from the University of Southampton and the Natural History Museum in London reported that they found six previously undiscovered species around hydrothermal vents in the Indian Ocean, including a kind of hairy-chested crab, two species of snail, and a new species of scale worm. And the pictures of some of these animals found in the bottom of the oceans, they just look like aliens from another planet, don't they? Just wonderful creatures. No wonder Psalm 104 says, How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number. Living things both large and small. And it's no less amazing to think about all the different kinds of birds that God created when he said, let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. There are seemingly something like 10,000 species of birds that have been recognised. 10,000 of them. And nobody obviously has been able to, to count the number of birds. But even today, with all of the problems in our world, it's still estimated that there's something between 100 and 400 billion birds in this world. That's 
one, uh, 50 birds per person in this world. But we're not supposed to respond to all of this, all of this diversity and all of these living creatures by marveling at the wonders of nature. That's not the response that God is looking for. Instead, we're supposed to see in this the evidence of the blessing of God. This is the first time in the Bible that the idea of God's blessing is introduced. Here. When God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. The first mention of God blessing. God blessed these creatures. He promised his divine favour on them. And so this, it is this that has enabled them to be so fruitful and increase in number. Of course, they always follow God's uh, pattern, God's order of reproducing according to their kinds, which I hope you remember from last week, tells us that the offering is always the same kind as the parents. Okay? But this is the evidence of God's blessing. The fact that we can look outside and we can see so many birds flying around. Or we can go into the, the sea and, and see so, so ama- such amazing sea creatures. And throughout the Bible, it's developed right throughout that it's God's blessing that is the key to success in our lives as well. Next week we'll see that God gives his blessing to humanity. Later, Genesis records this blessing given to Noah, to Abraham. Then this blessing was given to the nation of Israel if they continued to obey God's law. But ultimately, it's we who have trusted in Jesus who have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we are the ones who are ultimately blessed in this world. And so when Jesus spoke to the birds, in his, spoke about the birds in his teaching, he said that although they are looked after by God, we are far more precious in his sight. Remember this in, in, chapter, in Luke chapter 12? Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So day five speaks so powerfully to us, not only of the wonder of the creativity of our God in designing all of these animals, but also in the certainty of God's promises of blessing. When God promises to bless us, He is able And faithful to fulfill his promises. And so finally we get to day six. Where God filled the land that he formed on day three. Now you probably know that the description of this day is much longer than all the rest. Probably because it's pointing to the fact that this is the pinnacle of God's creation. So you'll be glad to know we're going to leave the second part of this to next week because there's just so much in it when it's talking about the creation of humanity and we're just going to look at the first half of it so we're going to read from verse 24 
just down to verse 25. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So on this day, God made all sorts of animals, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals. It's not clear exactly what these different types of are or groups are. But they just point to the huge diversity in the land animals in this world. And again, you'll probably have noticed that these animals were made each according to their kinds. I think we can see this reality with dogs. I know there are a number of dog lovers in, in our church this morning. You know that I'm allergic to them. I love them, but as long as they keep at a distance, I'm fine. There are so many varieties of dogs, aren't there? Just amazing the, the, the diversity there. They vary so much from one another. He brought out a little chihuahua and a huge big Great Dane. You say, wow. And yet no matter how much you breed dogs, you know what you get? You get a dog. Always. They're all the one kind. They're all descendants of the same parents, ultimately. All that diversity, and yet they're still the same. Because God made animals to only reproduce according to their kinds. And we can see that in heavens around us today. But in day six, God didn't only create these animals. He also provided food for them. Jump down to verse 30. We'll, we'll, we'll fill in the gaps of the creation of mankind next week. But if you just jump down to verse 30, it says, And to all of the beasts of the earth, and all of the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Now, for many of us, this stirs up a whole lot of questions. Does this imply that all of the animals initially only ate plants? How is it possible that when these animals, they don't seem to have the, the ability, the digestive ability to live that way today, and they also show so much of the necessary ability to hunt or to kill and to eat other animal prey, how is it possible that God had designed them, created them, only to eat plants? Now, I don't think the Bible gives us a full answer to this. This is one of the questions that comes up in these kind of passages that we might not always have the answer for. But this passage, I believe, does hint at the fact that the animals in the original creation were not part of a brutal kill or be killed world. And this fits in with the apparent absence of fear when God brought all of these animals for Adam to name in Genesis chapter 2. Adam didn't run away from them because he wasn't scared of them. And it also fits in with the fact that the Bible says that death, at least for human beings, only invaded this world as a result of mankind's sin. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. 
And it also fits in with the prophecies. That one day, when Christ reigns supremely on the earth, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. This looks like God's redemption of creation. Recreating the peace and the harmony that was lost in the fall. <coughs> but whatever you make of that, I don't want us to get kind of hung up about that and lost in that. Whatever you make about this, the clear message of day six in terms of the animals is that God provides for his creation. This is what Psalm 145 says, verse 15. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God is the God who provides. And in fact, later in Genesis, Abraham will call God Yahweh Yireh, the Lord who provides. And if God looks after his creation in this way, then how much more can we who have trusted in Jesus and been adopted as God's children into his family, how much more can we depend on God to provide for us? So Paul says, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Our Heavenly Father is the God who provides. So this world is not empty. It's not desolate. Because God has filled it. With the sun and the moon and the stars that give light and structure to our days, months and years. And encourage us to lift up our eyes to the wonder and wonder to our Creator. With sea creatures and birds that show that when God promises to bless, he does fulfill. And with land animals that show that God can be trusted to provide for his creation. This is God's world. And throughout it we can see the eternal power and divine nature of our creator and our heavenly father.